Bueller. 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 How'd you do? I do? I passed, but I failed. Yeah! I'm happy and sad. Bright as you could have a brother who's so. Don't call me stupid. Who out of the chicken crossed the road? You'll be teaching remedial English. Remedial English? Look, I ain't no English teacher. See? Double negative. What if she wants you to kiss her? Well, then I guess I'm just gonna have to kiss her. Amanda Jones is no minor leaguer who will be swept off her feet at the touch of your amateur lips. Thanks. This babe has plenty of battle scars. Apparently it's rusted junk and we're looking at it. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Rusted Junk where we'll be looking at the 1989 film Say Anything, starring John Cusack, Only Sky, and John Mahoney. I'm going to take out Diane Court. Diane Court doesn't go out. She's a brain. Trapped in the body of a game show hostess. We don't want to see you get hurt. I want to get hurt. Diane Court. Hello, Diane. Looking at you tonight. Hi. Lloyd Dobbs, sir. Huh? I'm an athlete, so I rarely drink. I can kickboxing. I heard of kickboxing, sport of the future. I can see by your face, no. My point is you can relax because your daughter will be safe with me for the next seven to eight hours, sir. Dare to be great situation. Think tough, boy. <laughs> I just can't have any social life right now. We'll be antisocial. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time possible with Diane. No, really. I'm totally and completely serious. I decided not to sleep with him. Then I attacked him anyway. I told your dad? Gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. Dude, where'd she dump you, man? Her car. Uh, your car? Dished in the mouth. Oh. I need you. You do? John Cusack, Ioni Sky, say anything. Okay, so that's the trailer. <laughs> what do you do? What, what do you think? Because you you watched the trailer just before we record the podcast. We yeah. always we always watch and just refresh the memory. Hmm. What do you think of the trailer? Um. <coughs> sorry, I, I think it's it summarizes the film, but it doesn't get across the what I got from the film. Yeah, right. I think it misses some of the film they show too much and it, it kind of whitewashes it a little bit hmm I guess so I guess th- that's not the trailer I remember that used to be on the old uh, 
the VHSs. The old VHSs. The old VHSs. Um, <laughs> that, that one has the backing, uh, backing song of All for Love by Nancy Wilson from Heart, who was married to the director. Oh. Hmm. They're not uh, together anymore. They're divorced in 2010. Oh, sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know... <laughs> Um, I think in retrospect, you putting that on the, on the back, it doesn't sound right. Anyway, um, I guess what we're saying is, don't go and watch the trailer. Um, just go and watch the film. Yeah, but they'll have heard the trailer. Yeah, but I've not. That doesn't give anything away if you haven't seen it. Uh... Not much, really. There's a lot of visual things in there that you would oh, that you okay. need to see, like iconic scenes. But we'll get to that later. All right. So. Um, before we go anywhere else, what do we give it out of ten? Um, I think I give it a six and a half. A six and a half. Wow. Well, we'll come to, we'll come to why later. Um, a strong, strong nine. What? A very strong nine. Really? Yeah. Okay. You've got to understand that this is a again. This is one of those uh, films that you just kept on watching it was different from the you know John Hughes stable and stuff that was out there at the time and we'll get to that because actually there was a conscious move away from the John Hughes kind of way kind of way of doing films because you know he's only one year away John Hughes is only one year away from making um, Home Alone and probably made uh, Uncle Buck in 1989 so he was moving away from teen films into sort of comedy Um, so yeah I think there's quite a difference in this film Anyway, the premise of the film is uh, John Cusack plays Lloyd Dobler. He's basically a kickboxer who's graduating. So the film starts with him, everyone graduating. And um, Ioni Sky, uh, I've forgotten her name in this. Diane Court. Diane Court, that's right. Um, So they're all graduating. Diane Court is a bit of a... I think they even describe her that in the film. Bit of a prude. She's studied a lot. She hasn't socialised a lot. Mm-mm. She doesn't know the people around her. She doesn't know the people she's graduating with. Um, she's got like a funny joke she's going to use at graduation. She tries on her dad and her dad being her dad just laughs and said that's funny. Um, predictably when she comes to do it at the graduation speech it doesn't land at all. No. And nobody laughs except her dad. Um, so yeah. Uh, John Cusack has seemingly been smitten with this girl for quite a long time talks to his friends and says I'm going to ask her out the film starts with him saying I'm going to ask her out this is this is my what I'm going to do um, tries to engineer everything tries to get a picture taken at graduation and, uh, and within but he then does what I think every uh, every boy wants to do and every boy was nervous at the time is he picks up the phone and talks to her um, oh, I remember those days. I remember. I remember those butterflies. Oh God! It was the build-up. It was the shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I, and like we. Did you phone boys, did you? Yeah. 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 Oh. Well, it wasn't just it... for boys to phone girls. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not going back into some archaic, you know, Mad Men 1950s stuff. Why would, why would I not phone a boy? I don't know. I guess it was just all customary for. I don't know. Customary for a boy to phone a girl. No. Okay. No. Girls phone boys. Right, okay. How many uh, boys did you phone then? Uh, a few. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, it's all coming out now. Yeah, but... It didn't Cascading really, it. It didn't really go anywhere. 
Okay. Well, but it was quite funny because well, like clearly, our, cause our you phone, sat here with me. Our phone used to be like you know the proper kind of handset thing. You know the the old style. I don't the, know what they're called now. The one line, the one, uh, the one line that came into the house. And yeah, that was with it. the dial. Yeah. And like you had to wait for ages for it to go round, and then um, it got like the the headset thing, the hat that you hold. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So I used to sit in the hall for ages and contemplate whether I was going to phone this person or not, whoever it may have been at the time. And um, I always remember my dad coming coming through the hall because it used to be at the time when he'd come in had his dinner uh had a shower or or about there he had a bath he had a bath and then uh he used to come down all fresh smelling and stuff and then he was on his way out again (laughs) either to go and do some quotes for his building or he used to go down the club or so go and do like darts or whatever and um he always used to say don't stay on that beeping phone too long (laughs) you're not the one that pays the bills (laughs) and this was all before like the friends and family and like the the calls inclusive kind of plans and oh yeah if you're if you're under i don't know if you're under 35 and you're listening to this it was about 10p a minute or something wasn't it stupid um and your parents always used to shout at you can you get off the phone i need to phone your auntie ada yeah (laughs) but it's like i've only been on it like 10 minutes yeah. Oh, teenage angst, oh. Phone, phone angst. Anyway, um, he plucks up the coach to phone her. Um, he doesn't get her, he gets her dad. Um, I've a, done that before. Yep, leaves a message with her dad. Um, she ends up, like, uh, phoning him back. He's quite nervous. He's very nervous. He's very good. I mean, John Cusack is very, very good in this film. Um, he portrays everything he's trying to portray and everything he's trying to do in a scene. Um, he gets just gets spot on. Uh, I, I can't fault him, but we'll get to that in roll call. Um, so, yes, uh, she finally phones him. Uh, after the phone call, she kind of looks him up in the yearbook. Yeah, she can't she remember. Know who he is. And then she looks, at, uh, and then the look on her face is like, oh, oh, right, okay, is that it? Um, he goes to, her, goes to her house, picks her up. He's going to, he basically says to her, do you want to go to the graduation party? And she's like, well, I don't. I, I, I don't really want to go because I don't really know anybody there. Mm. And he kind of convinced her and said, "Look, come with me, and you know, we'll 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 go and uh, we'll go and meet people. You can go and talk to people." It turns out that when they get there, um, uh, and there's a nice cameo, uh, which isn't actually mentioned. It is actually cameo uh, of Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz plays the guy. He's and he's supposed to be in his early twenties. I suppose he was by that time. Um, who plays the guy? Guy that puts on the graduation party for everyone every year and dresses up like a rooster um, and it looks like a great party that they, they both oh, walk yeah, it into looks absolutely awesome mm. but I guess the bit before that is when he goes to he goes his, her, her dad opens the door to him um, and he's there and he's going um, yeah I, I, I just want to let you know I don't drink <laughs> I don't smoke um, I like kickboxing you know kickboxing sport the future Don the Dragon Wilson you know people like that anyway just let you know that your daughter will be safe in my hands for the next eight to nine hours and it's kind of like and the dad doesn't really know what to think um, but yeah so uh, off they go to the party um, people that she doesn't know walking up to her and saying you you were like an inspiration and and I guess she gets she gets like a different view of things from, from going to the party yeah she sees people in a different way um, you know uh, John Kuzak because he doesn't drink gets assigned the uh, um 
Keymaster. Keymaster role, which means he has to look after everyone's car keys and then judge whether or not they're actually sober enough to drive at the end of the night, which I always thought was a really, really weird thing. Why would you go to a party, put your keys in a, a thing, and then start drinking? So, as, as admittedly, start drinking at the start of the night. So, let's say 8 o'clock. So, are you supposed to stop drinking at some point to sober up to then you get your keys back from the keymaster? I don't understand how it works. Well, the weird thing is, at the end of the party, the bag was empty apart from one key. Right. So, it means, what's the point in having the keymaster? Because if the bag's got to be empty by the end of the party, everyone's taking the cars. So, no, so half the people weren't drinking? So it sounds like a fun party to me. Um, but anyway, so there's one person left um, and they don't know where it is because there's one, one set of keys. Um, it turns out to be a guy uh, horribly drunk in the toilet um, and they offer to give him, even on their first, sort of first date, they offer to give him a, a lift home, but he's forgotten where he lives. So they drive around for most of the, the early hours and uh, until the break of dawn. Um, and eventually, the, the funny scene is, he says, oh, wait a minute, that's my house. And the car just breaks, turfs him out. And it's kind of like <laughs> and it. And then they're gone. Um, but then they go and hang out at the uh, 7-Eleven, equivalent of the uh, co-op or spa over here, I think. Um, and they're, they're coming out and she's still in a prom, you know, sort of not graduation dress. She's she's overdressed for it because she doesn't know how she to dress. Like she doesn't know a wedding. To, yeah, she doesn't know how to, how to relate. You know, she doesn't know what she needs to be to be dressing her um, and uh, as she walks over the road he clears some glass away uh, from her so she doesn't step in it um, and that comes quite important later in the film so I guess from that point it's without spoiling it too much it's kind of like I guess it's probably a discussion more about the film and the underlying things mm, in it yeah. because it is I think it's a nice really nice romantic uh, the way that the film the pace the film goes at it's quite nice. Yeah, it's it's a sweet film. Mm. It's it's not as in saccharine, but it's sweet because it's all about like young love and the first sort of time when you start going out with someone or start dating someone, you you all a flutter and then things start to get a little bit more serious when you obviously at that consenting sort of age and it's whether or not you really want to whether you feel ready for it, I guess. Mm. And yeah, I suppose she's never really lived with her mum as such. She's lived with her dad. Hmm. Um, so, you know, her dad's done a very good job, but he's, he's been very academically focused with her. Yeah. Making sure she's the best at what she's doing. And, you know, he mentioned about, you know, he had this plan in place yeah, for this... her and that she's... Um, Achieving all everything that they set out to do, hmm. so all the sacrifices that she made, she's then obviously got this won this scholarship over in the in the UK to hmm. do is it chemistry? Oh, she's she's graduating in quite a few things. I mean, I mean right. the guy that says at the start, Diane Court is the kind of girl that takes the world by the by the scruff of the neck and says, "Hey, world, check me out." <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh god, so. I tell you what. Instead of we, uh, before we get into the the underlying bit, should we do should we do roll call, and then okay, should we do roll call? Or do, uh, do it in that order. Yeah. Okay. Roll call. Okay. So that was roll call. Roll call's great this time. I mean, you're basically starting off with John Cusack, who I would say is my personal favourite 
of, of, of the films of the 80s, of the collective films of the 80s, um, it, he's just, he's, he couldn't put a foot wrong. So, you know, you've got the likes of, I mean, probably more for our American listeners here or people like me that rented everything. Um, he was in One Crazy Summer. Uh, he was in Better Off Dead. He was in a film called Class, which starred uh, Andrew McCarthy before the break, before Pretty in Pink, before he became part of the sort of Brat Pack. Um, uh, so John, John Cusack was in that with him. So that was a film with Rob Lowe, uh, Jacqueline Bissett played the older woman that Andrew McCarthy was going out with. It was all quite convoluted. I, 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 I realised watching that at age 11, there's a lot of complex issues in that that <laughs> would have just gone straight over my head. Good. But my parents rented it, they stuck it on and we were allowed to watch it. So I do remember it. Um, it has quite a visceral opening scene. Um, if you've never seen it, it's very... Um, yeah, can you when you go back and watch that and then say, if my parents were negligent, um, showing me that at age 11. I think probably they were. But they don't listen to this podcast, so that's all right. Um, John Cusack, I think his first uh, role was in 16 Candles. I think it was 16 Candles. No, it was in Class, sorry, and then 16 Candles. So he was, he was in John Hughes's first, like, proper uh, teen film. Uh, and I remember seeing that when I went to see 16 Candles. I was like, I forgot John Cusack's in this. But he's not, he's not high priority. He's very much sort of in the background, but he's very integral to the plot. Um, and then he's in The Sure Thing and he's in Stand By Me in the 80s. Um, Do you know what? Stand By Me, that's the film that I should have seen and I never did. Right, okay. It was a film that like, all my mates had watched, but... Have you never seen it? I'd never watched. No. you still never seen it? No. Oh, wow. Oh, crikey, okay. I know it's sad. Uh, well, it's... But, it's no, different. I've not seen it. See snippets, okay, but never the whole film. Well, that sums up my eighties experience. Well, really, it's, isn't it, it does really, and it's <laughs> I've, good. Seen, I've seen snippets of a lot of films, it's, but not watched them all the way through. Well, it's good that you're here because uh, <laughs> you've come to the right place. Um, in the nineties, uh, he starred in Bob Roberts. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, Gross Point Blank. Uh, oh, I like that one. Oh, it was amazing. Mini Driver and Jeremy Piven. But we'll get to that in a moment. Crikey, it's packed here today. Um, he was in Con Air, he was in Being John Malkovich um, and High Fidelity, but then in 2012, uh, then, actually in 2012, it was actually made just before that, 2012, he played, he was in the disaster film 2012, Not he was bit. also in Hot Tub Time Machine, and oh, I like that one, Hot Tub Time Machine and Hot Tub Time Machine 2, um, and, but one of my favourites, he played uh, one of my musical icons, uh, in the film of his life called Love and Mercy. Um, that's quite a hard role to play because he played Brian Wilson um, in that. That's a tough thing to get right. Uh, it's a tough thing to get right anyway. It's a tough thing to get right for the purists and yet John uh, Cusack did both. Um, hugely talented. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, I really don't know where to start. I could, I could do a whole thing on John Cusack, to be honest, but let's not. Um, any, any nice memories of John Cusack in, in certain films when, when I say High Fidelity did you like him in High Fidelity or I read the book okay you know it's in the film and then I watched the film mm. and then I didn't like the film okay the book is brilliant the book's better the book goes into things a lot better than the film does yeah I think they changed the film a bit as well didn't they cool anyway we're not here to they, they did do that did you think John Cusack was good in it though uh, I can't really remember because I only watched it once okay so, out of all those films that I've seen, is 
I've watched Gross Point Blank Gross Point Blank High Fidelity Con Air Con Air yeah. can't remember it though and Hot Tub Time Machine okay <laughs> but none of the early 80s stuff nope I mean I showed you the trailer for The Sure Thing today does yeah. that look like something you'd like to watch yeah but it does look a little bit samey is well, this one so uh, perhaps let's not do that one okay well anyway we'll just watch that in our own time and just not podcast it perhaps Mm, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm always off for some off, offline forgotten ACs <laughs> whereby we actually just just watch a film. Yeah, we'll, we'll just watch a film and not talk about it afterwards. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's, how retro is that? I know, crikey. <laughs> it's like watching Netflix. <laughs> um, Although I must say, Netflix. <gasps> is it Netflix that's got Gangs of London? No, that's Sky. Oh. Yeah, so it's not on Netflix. It probably will be. It probably... Oh. I know right. that's I know that's the that new good. thing, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Um, so on to Ioni Sky. Never seen her before. Not much. I don't suppose you saw her since then, really. Um, she was in uh, Rivers Edge, nope. uh, which was like a sort of gritty teen, uh, gritty teen film. Nope. Um But she was in a film called The Rachel Papers, and it was it was a really good film. It was at the same time as this. She starred with um, Dexter Fletcher. Um, and he wanted to he was finishing university and he was coming he wanted to date an older girl so he wanted to date someone over 20 and it was like it was very odd hmm. but yeah so I only sky not much but in this I thought yeah did she convince you that she was changing yeah she played a good part yeah yeah um, yeah I think she's the weakest thing in it um, but yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, John Mahoney. Um, is that the dad? That's the dad. Um, this is, I, I love this because I, I knew it and I remembered it, but I couldn't get it nailed down. I couldn't get it. So do you remember when we did the Fish Called Wonder podcast, we talked about John Cleese starring in Cheers? Cheers? Cheers. Oh, the And then we went and watched sitcom. it afterwards, yeah. Yes. Um, and that, that was, was funny. funny. That it was is. Funny. It yeah. is. It's joy. Yeah. Well, John Mahoney starred in Cheers, and if you think where he went to and what he's most probably most famous for is playing Fraser's dad, Martin Crane in Fraser. Yeah. Now I remembered I'd seen his face, but I. But you couldn't remember. Couldn't place him, but it wasn't until he'd said about Fraser, it was like, oh, of course, he's his dad. <laughs> well, he did star in Cheers. Um, he was in Cheers when Fraser was there. It's kind of—I don't know—it's kind of like the the fourth wall type thing when they call it. It's like, how can he be there and not be Martin Crane and not play Fraser's dad? But anyway, he plays a guy called Sy uh, Fleurbeck um, in the episode "Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Postman," referring to Cliff. Um, he has to—he's a jingles man, and he has to think of jingles for the bar and. Oh my goodness! And I rem- and I suddenly, as I remembered it, it came flooding back, and I just thought he is amazing in that because you realise his jingles are limited to just one thing, and he just keeps adapting <laughs> that one thing to it, and it just gets funnier and funnier. Maybe we'll watch that after right. afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, so I hate to think that after every every third podcast that we have to go and watch an episode of Cheers. But I guess when we get to Emma Thompson, if we get to something with Emma Thompson in, she plays a. Uh, the nanny, the, the kind of like Mr. Tumble, like uh, Nanny McPhee. 
but not Man- Nanny McPhee, a kind of happy, jolly entertainer that used oh, to go okay. out with Frasier, used oh. to be married to him. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic, especially the end song. Uh, John Hurley was also uh, starred in two films with Cher. Uh, he, started, he was in Suspect, uh, where Cher played a lawyer. John Mahoney played the judge, and he was also in Moonstruck when she won uh, she won her Oscar for. Um, he was in The American President, a film that I absolutely adore. Not many people do, but I do. Uh, but obviously, he's more famous for Martin Crane in Frasier. I think ten seasons of Frasier, maybe even eleven seasons of Frasier that he they played that character, and he's absolutely brilliant. Um, moving on, Jeremy Piven. If I said Jeremy Piven, does that mean they mean anything to you at all? No. Jeremy Piven plays the the drunk guy that's one of the the, the four guys that sit outside the the gas and sip. Oh, is he the one with the back backwards cap and that is really kind of top. off his head at the party? Yes. And he goes, and John Cusack has to take control of me. You must chill. Swacks his keys at chill. him, high yes. fives with the keys in his hand. And yeah, I really yeah. wish he hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> she take the keys out of your hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeremy Piven is basically started out uh, on The Ellen Show. He was quite prominent on that. He was prominent in The Larry Sanders Show, which always has a place in my heart. I guess more for the US audience, perhaps. Um, And he's probably more famous for Entourage, for starring in Entourage as well. So, you know, it's very much one of those things whereby he's he's a good actor. But he has made five films with John Cusack because they are very good friends in real life and if he sees a role and he sees a part for him or you know if Jeremy Piven's in in there and he sees a part then they then they say actually yeah you need him and, and they both they both kind of invite each other onto the, the films so the five films I guess if anyone wants to play play at home you could pause it now um, and then try and think you can name this five films but anyway if you're not pausing or if you've unpaused here are the five films um <laughs> He was in, obviously, he was in this film. Um, uh, so, sorry, it's six films he's been in. Uh, so, he's been in Say Anything. He's been in Serendipity. He's been in Gross Point Blank, where he plays his best friend that hasn't seen him in 10 years. So, when he goes home for his reunion, Jeremy Piven's the guy that comes out with the 10 years, man. 10 years. <laughs> um, he was in Bob Roberts, which is an incredibly good film starring Tim Robbins. If you haven't checked that out, Please do. Um, it's just incredible, uh, and it's it's a political it's a political film, but it's a jokey. It's like filming this fictional character called Bob Roberts who's standing for um, the the Senate, and it's and it's just great. I just I could watch that. To uh, that's definitely one of my uh, Desert Island films. Um, he was in the Grifters, and he was in One Crazy Summer. So before they made anything, they made One Crazy Summer. So they they started in a film together already. Um, so yeah, Jeremy Piven. I think he's more famous now for Mr. Selfridge. He's the lead in the ITV thing that we don't watch. I don't know if you watched it. No idea what you're talking about. Oh, the guy that founded Selfridges. They made. He played the guy that founded Mis- Mr. Selfridge. Who founded <laughs> Selfridges? That that sell fridges. They that, don't. They sell fridges at Selfridges. Oh, good lord. They do. <laughs> they sell expensive wine Let's as well. Let's move on. Okay. Who else have we got? Anyone Pamela else? Pamela Adlon. Who? She is oh, Pamela. famous for being in Californication. Um, she played Runkle's wife in California. <laughs> Runkle. Oh, I love what that. What a character. What a Californication. Character. Oh, my um, God. That's amazing. 
And she's also in, uh, to bring up to date, she's in Better Things. That's quite funny. Some of it's a little bit... Some of it's... Suddenly it takes a direction for like three episodes and you go, where's the comedy? But all right. Um, Lily Taylor plays John Cusack's best friend in this. She didn't do an awful lot more, but fun fact, fans. Fun fact. Trying to say that three times. Um, Lily Taylor, she was in She's Having a Baby, which was probably the last of John Hughes's teen films. It was almost like now these teens are getting married and they're going to have a baby and it's kind of like moving on anyway. um, She was in that. But the director, we can't leave the director out because it's Cameron Crowe, um, who's famous for uh, the film Singles, uh, Jerry Maguire, and Almost Famous, which is one of, definitely one of my Desert Island films because it's just perfect. There is That's a 10 out of 10, by the way, but we'll never do it because it's a 90s film. So when we're doing this, when we're sitting in the 60s, the first film we're going to do, I've forgotten 90s movies, it's going to be Almost Famous. Because it probably will be forgotten then. If it isn't now, who knows? Oh, well, I've never seen it. Uh, anyway. That could be a standard line of mine. No, yes. N- not seeing that. Should we just have a button that we... Shall I get kind of like that. a jingle? Yeah. Not, not, not seen that. Not seen it. <laughs> or seen a bit of it. Seen a bit of it. Not watched it all the way through. <laughs> well, whatever works, hey. Anyway, so yeah, that's Roll Call. Anything to add on that? Anything? Any of the people in it that I've missed nope oh I have I've missed one China Phillips so if you've been listening to this podcast right from the start you'd listen to Moving Target where she, a year before she gets a starring role I mean she's literally one of the main characters in it with Jason Bateman it's him and her and yet she's relegated to the girlfriend in this um, of Lily Taylor's character who's basically infatuated with her ex Joe but Joe is now going out with China Phillips she gets one line in the entire film I can't even, I should have jotted it down but that's the one line that she gets anyway I don't think we've forgotten anybody else if we have we do apologise anyway that was Roll Call cool so back to the film um, I think when you look at the film again, you were right to point out that the dad has the plan, and there's something there's something inherently noble in what he's doing at the start, because he's she's never had to want for anything. Um, the mother's the mother walks out on them, so yeah, they got divorced, uh, and so he's basically had to be the person that. Um, she he uh, she lives with. Um, I think it's referred to the divorce court that she had to choose between who she went and lived with, mm. and she went and chose her dad. Um, and the bond between her and her dad is quite nice, but it's also quite odd because it's also a little bit too much, I would say, for a dad daughter relationship. Because he tells he says well he says the uh, you know movie title alert you can say anything to me, and it's like. That seems to be the premise of what what he said is he's wanted to have that relationship of dad, of best friend, of confident, of of everything. Basically, he wants to fill the entire role. Um, I don't know if it seems comes across as like controlling because I think his heart initially at the start of the film when you're looking at it. Um, obviously, you get to a, a surprise bit in the film, which we will get to because we do do spoilers. 
you know, we, we hope you've watched the film uh, before you've listened to this. But you, you, he's doing I it from a good place, isn't I he? I think he's underlying reasons guilt. Do you think so? Yeah. Okay, for what he's done? No. Guilt because the, the marriage is broken down? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so she doesn't have that traditional two-parent family. Um, and I think he's motivated by guilt in order to try and give her everything she needs that she she doesn't need to ask for anything and they've got a plan together and you know he's going to make her get every opportunity she possibly can but with that there are sacrifices to be made and she's fully aware that she's making these sacrifices i.e. not having a huge friend base or experiencing uh, or, things or, or, or any friend base yeah that's I mean, true. she refers to it later on in the film yeah because she actually blames John Cusack and says, "Look, you've got four, you've got all of these friends. I have nobody." Yeah. So, so I guess what he's doing actually damages her because she becomes too insular and too isolated that she doesn't have that broad depth of experience and friendship and, uh, I guess, experience in relationships. Full stop. Hmm. Because you know she's never had busy mates or you know friends going throughout her college years hmm. they're some of the most important friendship sort of relationships that you can have at that time hmm. you know I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have the friends that I did have at school some of them you know you drift apart but you hmm. know I could I could say one for definite that I've still got a really good you know that kind of soulmate relationship with yeah um, that I know if I don't see them for ages it's just basically lifting off starting where we left off basically yeah yeah absolutely you know it's one of those um, so yeah I think he was trying to protect her and trying to give her everything she could possibly want and he was creating like a fund for her so that when she graduated that she had like this this money to fall back on and she would never need to to want for anything well that's you get the so the the image is is that he has this box with a small key in it and whenever he's given her something he opens the box and gives her something from the box you don't know what's in the box you just think that he's naturally wealthy because he drives a BMW he gives her a car for a graduation mm. and he gives her a mother's I think was it is it right it's a mother's ring I believe so yeah I find that a bit weird why would he still have that and why wouldn't she why wouldn't the mother who's still alive and and yeah. you know you see later on in the film why wouldn't you know, she give it the ring why is, mm. why's he got it anyway um the the it does center around this box but you just think it will he runs a care home it's basically his care home and he's got a lot of money um but yeah, I, 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 the relationship at times is really is really sweet and it's really quite tender. Um, but yeah, at other times it's kind of like you you can't be all things to everybody. Um, in that, no. I mean, it, it'd be a bit different if a mum wasn't around. You know, if a mum wasn't around and basically, you know, something had happened to a mum or she passed away, then you could understand that. But the mum's still around; she can go and visit the mum anytime she wants to, mm. and she, so she can get. He's trying to be the mum and the dad, and he doesn't need to be because there is still a mum out there that can do all the mum stuff mm. and talk about those. So, 
Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, I mean, it is, it's a powerhouse performance by John Mahoney. He's mm. just, he just comes across as good. He makes you feel, as, as Amanda says, he makes you feel the guilt. He makes you feel the happiness. You know, he makes you feel the, the warmth that he gets from doing the things for her. He does everything for her. There's nothing, there's nobody else that he's, he's doing anything for. Her sole focus is to make sure that she gets in. So he, he gets the call that says, oh, you've got the uh, scholarship to um, Oxford. Um, so basically she's got to fly over and she's got she's got that. And, you know, he can't wait. He's in the car. The scene is he's tapping away. He's, he's tapping away to the music. He's singing away to the music because he can't wait to go to the care home where she where she helps, her, where she works at to tell her that this has happened. Um, and so, yeah, it's bits like that where I just think, oh, what a nice guy. But then obviously you get to, to other bits. What about the relationship between um, John Cusack and him? What, how do you think that comes across in the film? I, uh, I think he's not overly keen on this, like, young whippersnapper because he doesn't really have any ambitions as to what he is that he wants to do in life. Yeah. Um, because, obviously, he's quite motivated by success hmm. and, you know, sees his daughter's success as, you know, a, a triumph... So he's almost the reverse of that. He's like enjoying life, has no real commitments, but he knows what he doesn't want to do. Yes. <laughs> sell, sell anything, sell anything import. that's imported, exported or processed or something. Or process anything bought and sold. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's that's like, a great line. So he's basically into kickboxing then. <laughs> and, and that's the bit, right? At the that, So the bit that you just mentioned, that conversation, was because he's invited on the second date. The second date, if you can believe it, he's invited around to meet the dad and sit down and have a meal with. And his dad's friends from like the bridge club and the, you know, the, the care home or something like that. And, you know, just people that th- think they're important you know yeah. it's the, those types of people um, but when when he, when he first meets John Cusack that's a lovely moment when John comes comes to the house to pick up Dan for the first time that's a lovely moment because he's he's smiling because he, he genuinely likes John Cusack I think he genuinely likes his personality he will always just see him as a distraction on the way to Diane going to Oxford mm when it starts becoming more serious and when it starts becoming that Diane is falling in love with Lloyd, his whole demeanour, his complete demeanour changes. Um, and he's, you know, you see him when they're together, um, you know, so one of the scenes is that he's trying to teach her how to drive um, and the, the, you know, the, the car's stopping and starting and it's just going around in a circle outside the care home so it's not actually on the road. And, he, and he's looking out and it's like, Disapprove, not disapprovingly, but it the the movie takes you on that journey, his journey of, wait a minute, this guy's now a threat to not only her going to Oxford, but he's a threat to me. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna take out everything. Another person in relationship, yeah. yeah. And and she's suddenly seeing the light. I guess you could see that the whole film is about her seeing the light. On there is a life outside of mm. this a this relationship, b this working thing that she's done. And she's seeing other people and she's seeing friends and, and everything else. I think their relationship, the, the father-daughter relationship, is all based on that trust mm. element. And as the film transpires, mm. he's not been 
fully honest with her. And I think the relationship of trust then breaks down and her whole sort of basis of Mm. their relationship, in her opinion, is Mm. then shattered because it was all about trust and the fact that she could talk to him about anything. And he wouldn't, like, immediately blow his top. He would be there and he would listen and, you know, he would sit and talk things through with her. Mm. That there was no subject that she couldn't talk to him about. Like she even spoke about the first time she yeah she had sex. she has sex in the back of the back of his car you know <laughs> and you think oh my god I would never have told my dad that I'd never I never had that relationship relationship with my dad but I wouldn't even really have told my mum either mm. but all I said to my mum was that you don't need to worry I've got some contraception I've gone to see the doctor and gone on the pill <laughs> that was that was the only sort of time I mentioned anything about any sort of sexual relationships I was having at the time. <laughs> okay. I never discussed anything like that. Yeah. Um, his is it's, that's probably a good time to mention his his dark secret. The dark secret is at, when John Cusack is there, obviously uh, meeting for the first time. Um, the dad's giving him a bit of a grilling and saying, "You know, what do you want to do with your life?" And he, he comes out with a line. What do, you, what do you want to do with your life? He goes, I want to spend as much time as possible with your daughter. And he goes, no, 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 um, seriously. And he goes, I'm totally and completely serious. And it's to, to him, going out with Diane Court, he, he's achieved the thing that he's wanted to do. It brightens up every aspect of his life. His kickboxing gets better. His relationship with his sister, which isn't good. It's, it's about, it's functional. Uh, but things get better. You know, and and his brightness depends upon her happiness and his ability to make her happy. But anyway, um, there's a knock on the door at, at that um, grilling at the, uh, at the time, and it is the FBI who are investigating him for fraud. Um, so it's probably you know, th- there's a, it goes through that, and she. So, so to fast forward to that particular plot arc, she goes to see the FBI and says, you don't have anything on my dad. And this is towards the end of the film. And they go, yeah, pretty much we've got him banged to rights. He's pretty much nailed. Um, he's been stealing um, money off the dead people. He's been stealing. He's been making sure they've been is written into the will or taking money off them at the care home. And it's he's just been a completely... Um, a moral character. He's just been. He's just been dreadful. She goes back to the house. She finds but she, the key. But he justifies it. Well, this is it. But but I was always going to say she finds the key, mm. or no, she breaks breaks it open with a knife. She breaks open the box, this centralised thing that is in the house, which is the focal point of his, and she breaks it open, and it's just got hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of dollars in it hundred dollar bills hundred dollar bills and basically that's how he's been doing that she drives to the care home she says to him you know you would tell me anything you know you would never lie to me did you do it and he goes no and she says swear to god and he goes swear to god and her face collapses because at that point she realizes that not only did they thought they had this trust she's now said swear to god and now she says i found the money and then his face changes and the whole scene is him trying to justify why taking money and committing fraud against dead people and the people that are entrusted in his care, his justification is, I wanted the best for you. And we'll get to that in trivia time, because I, I didn't know this yeah, bit, but, but he has trouble with that. His reasoning 
is that he's providing the people in the care home a really good standard of life and he's talking to them and he has that personal relationship with them which is absolutely fantastic the fact that you know they probably wouldn't get that kind of attention if they were at home no you know that's his reasoning behind it that he he thinks he's justified in the sense of the last few years of these people's lives he's made you know a hell of a difference yeah, to them says, yeah. and he probably has hmm. but it doesn't make it right what he's done but no, I doesn't. think in his mind he does think it's right and I guess some people because it's a moral maze you know I guess some people might look at that and go well yeah I, I can see his point and I guess some people look at that and go well that's absolutely horrific and some people will just be like looking at it from a quandary point of view it's not so much that he's committed the fraud it's it, he's lied to his daughter and it's and it's like one of the biggest lies oh and god yeah her world crumbles he's actually convinced her to split up with John Cusack before this yeah and she goes running back to to him um, begging him to come back um, and he even gets hit in the face. He is. He, she disturbs him at the gym. <laughs> gym that he's uh, the dojo that he's at for his kickboxing, and as she's distracted, she's she's dressed there. He looks, and then he gets kicked. He gets kicked in the face, <laughs> and then he has to has have his uh, his nose reset. Um, but yeah, um, the dad goes to jail. Um, daughter doesn't want anything to do with him at all. Um, and uses John Cusack, so uses Lloyd as a go-between to go and talk to. So she'd written a letter, and you know John Cusack feels incredibly awkward of having to go and visit the dad in jail in order to read out the the letter that his daughter's written. Um, and his dad just explodes at John Cusack because uh, you know he turns around and said, "You know what? I was going to go to Oxford to London." Uh, to England with her um, and then I thought no 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 it's not and then the dad dad visibly relieved and he goes but then I changed my mind um, (laughs) and I want to be with her and I want to go with her Um, and yeah it's just a it's just a nice scene at the end when they're on the plane yeah yeah that's a nice that's a nice way to end it Uh, so yeah overall um yeah, any other thoughts before we get to trivia time? Trivia time's good this week. Um, or this time. Sorry, I wish we don't record weekly, but should do. Yeah, I, I think that's it, really. Yeah? Yeah. Anything else stand out for you? Is there anything else that, you know, you thought... Uh, the key words that I put, like, were the dad-daughter relationship, trust, um, sweet, the fact that it was the first love, first relationship, and then friendship, because she's starting to build friendships with other people. Um, and you see, like um, John Cusack playing the the character of Lloyd, having a good solid relationship with like the girls around him and stuff. And he's actually quite a well liked character, isn't he? Mm. Across oh, a lot yeah, of is, yeah. different because, levels. I because guess. he's that all things to everyone, but he can genuinely pull it off. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have a very he's a very modest place where he lives with his sister and uh, and her son. And he has a great relationship with her son, oh, yeah. which the sister d- d- really doesn't like at all. No, uh, because She's, she tells him off for not being behaving like an uncle, and, and he's, he's like, oh. "I am not T I M." Yeah, and he's always having to like, "I'm not the husband. I'm not your husband." He's doing a great job being an uncle doing oh, that. Oh, sounds great. Work that bad. Work that bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder how old that kid is now. Oh, I don't know. I suppose we could. We, maybe we, oh, maybe when we convert to the YouTube series, we'll show the. Uh, they did a. Um, I think it must have been about five. 
Well, they did a 30th anniversary uh, panel at one of the Comic-Cons, whereby they all reunited. Oh. On, on, and everyone came in, and everyone was there. I haven't checked it out yet. I haven't looked it out on YouTube. Um, but yeah, that was done in April last year. All right. I reckon um, he's probably about 35. Oh, yeah, well... Absolutely. Um, I do have, before we get to trivia time, I do have a confession to make. Oh, God. Go on. So, for those of my friends that who are listening, I had the most appalling dress sense um, of probably any teenager in the UK um, in the late 80s, um, certainly early 90s. Um, I was overweight and all that, but I was wearing, if you can imagine it, I was wearing like army lightweights with a pink t-shirt and a green ski jacket. Yes, Jeez. I was that person there. But but when we talked about Ferris Bueller <laughs> and, oh, and, I wore, and I wore a beret and those glasses, right? We've done that. There's no need to do it. There's really? no need to castigate me again. No uh, you've got a new th- you've got a new target. I don't tell me you had a Mac. No no no. Oh, I, I, I later on I did. When I when I slimmed down and I did that, I I had a I had a, like a long coat. I, in fact, even a long coat when I was anyway. Yes, that probably had some. That definitely had a sway because I was look. I either wanted to be Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything or Rutger Hauer from The, the Hitcher. Probably better say safer to be Lloyd Dobler <laughs> for a minute from Say Anything, in that sense. So yes, I did like a long coat. But no, my signature thing was I how was had white high tech basketball boots. And the reason I had those is, and I changed them, I literally changed overnight when I saw Say Anything, and I saw Lloyd's basketball boots, which are nothing like white high top, but they are whitish basketball boots. See, you've got to understand how these films have an effect on me. It's just, I just thought, that is cool. John Cusack is cool. John Cusack's been in all these films that I've seen, One Crazy Summer, Better Off Dead, Sixteen Candles, you know. Sure thing, and I was like, and here he is making this film, which is incredible. So, so you yes. think by wearing some oh, kind yeah, of there's some sort of vicarious, apparel. vicarious living in, you know, yeah. You, you, you think it's going to make you cool? I think I might have had them all on at the same time, so you could probably oh go. My no, 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 God. you could probably you could probably piece together the '80s films based on what I was based <laughs> on what I was wearing. I'd, I'd be like a, a walking one-man quiz. I'd be like, I'd walk into the room, just stand there oh and go, right, God. tell me the films. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, um, did you ever play that game where someone drew the feet, someone drew the legs, someone drew the body, someone drew the arms? Do you <laughs> yeah. fold the paper over? I bet you look like one of them. Uh, m- most, most possibly, yes. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Well, thank you for that. Okay, well. Thank God you don't do that anymore. Uh, yes, well, anyway, I don't. Um... I've missed out one of the. Uh, I've missed out one of the sections of trivia time. I think it might still be upstairs. Anyway, we can we can go without it. It's fine because we have plenty here. God, um, how many pages? It's all good. Um, so yeah. Um, so now it's time for trivia time. Trivia time. So who went for the role of Lloyd Dobler? Instead of John Cusack. Um, Tom Cruise. No. Oh, do you know what? Let's have a guess based on all the other times that we've had a guess on who went for that role in the late 80s. One of your favourites, maybe? <laughs> yes. Robert Downey Jr. Yes, he went. 
He turned it down. Oh, did he? Yeah. Too cool for that, then. Not cool enough. No, I he's too cool. He's not. He's cool now. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose it was cool then, yeah. Uh, Christian Slater. Yeah, I could see uh, that working. The, the actor that eventually played Joe was Lauren Dean. Um, so he didn't get the part, but they obviously he's got cast as Joe, which is the, the boyfriend in it. Um, and Kirk Cameron uh, was also going for the role. For the role of Dying Court, Elizabeth Shue from uh, Cocktail, uh, Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, mm. Yeah, well, when you see, it's one of those things that when you see her, you'll go, all oh, right, so that's Elizabeth oh, Shue. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, possibly the most beautiful woman in the 80s, uh, went for uh, the role, but I only sky got it. Um, the the role that Pamela Adlon, who obviously Californication and yeah. Better Things, uh, was just a role uh, written for her. Oh. And they actually turned Julie Roberts down, who applied for it, and said, no, 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 we've written this role for her. Because um, he, was, he was just impressed with her, with her acting. Uh, it's really funny, actually, because when you see her, she looks quite a little bit younger and quite a little bit sort of less tomboyish. But yeah, just the... The looks that she gives, it's just like, oh my God, that's just so her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the mannerisms and stuff. I mean, we'll get to we'll, yeah, we'll get to that in, in the moment. A number, this one is great. An unusual number of the actors are themselves, the actors in the movie, are themselves the children of well-known entertainment industry professionals. So, Ione Skye is the daughter of the Scottish pop singer Donovan. Catch the wind? Donovan? No? No. Okay. Uh, Pamela Adron is the daughter of TV writer Don Se- Don Seagal. I should have looked up what he was famous for, but he's obviously famous enough to be noted in this. It's not any relation to Stephen Seagal. Stephen Seagal. <laughs> Stephen Seagal. Um, Jason Gould, who plays Mike Cameron in this, is the son of Barbara Streisand and Elliot Gould. China Phillips, Mimi, that's her name. Uh, is the daughter of John and Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and Papas. So, basically, musical heritage there. And Amy Brooks, who plays DC, one of the girls, is a daughter of director, writer, and Say Anything producer James L. Brooks, who then went on to do The Simpsons. Oh. So, yeah. Um, it takes place in Seattle, which is later the backdrop for Frasier, with two cast members, John Mahoney, uh, and I forgot to mention Baby Neweth, who plays Fraser's wife, Lilith. She She's in there as the guidance counsellor that turns up at the party. That's her first oh, film role. Right. Uh, doing that. Um, American rock band Say Anything is named in reference to this film with the frontman Max Bennis saying it was a favourite of his growing up. Um, on April the 30th, 2019, the film had a 30th anniversary screening at the Tribeca Film Festival with Cameron Crowe, James L. Brooks and Ione Sky in attendance. When the film ended, they were joined on a discussion panel by, with John Cusack on Skype. He was originally going to be the person who couldn't make it because he was working on something else. During the panel, Cameron Crowe revealed that before casting jo- John Mahoney's James Court, are you ready for this? Dick Van Dyke expressed interest in the role. Um, to the point where he met with Cameron Crowe and Mr. Brooks to discuss the screenplay. Um he then said that they thought stated on in the early process of the casting process, sorry, early part of it, the production sent the screenplay to Richard Dreyfus, um, who sent it back with a note saying, Great script, want to play Lloyd. Um, so <laughs> I guess he was pretty old then to, to play Lloyd. But I think he liked the character mm-hmm. and the way it was written that much, knowing that he couldn't couldn't do it. 
Um, it's included in the American Film Institute's 2000 list of the uh, 2000 list of the 500 movies nominated for the top 100 funniest American movies. Don't know how that works. So it's it's in there somewhere. Um, Lloyd's sister's played by Joan Cusack, so which is real life sister. So the brother and sister relationship that they have. Um, and Ioni Sky admitted on the film's audio commentary, uh, which I do have, but I've never watched, um, that there was definitely an off-screen chemistry between her and John Cusack. Um, and that had they not been involved with other people at the time, they would probably have gone home together the day they shot the scene where Lloyd teaches Diane to drive. Oh. Because the chemistry was pretty good. It was pretty good. Anyway, some other ones. Uh, Cameron Crowe uh, based the script on a real-life heartbreak um, until Say Anything, Crowe hadn't written a love story. He told the San Diego Union Tribune that the movie is a love story for people who don't say that I love you. And in 2009, told the Los Angeles Times, says it's a very personal movie and it reminds me of falling in love, falling out of love and falling back in love with life and all the unexpected glories and pain that happen along the way. The personal part references his first love and heartbreak. She fell for me, I fell for her, just not at the same time. He said, and yes, I used to drive by her house late at night, listening to music, feeling like a sap, and somehow heroic at the same time. She was already with she was already with somebody new, but I was going to wave the flag of our great love, even if I was the only one at the ceremony. Aww. Is that us? That's, that's, that's Cameron Crowe. Um, another one, I won't read them all out. Um, after starring in a, st- a string of teen films, uh, he was John Cusack was against starring in another teen movie. So I've listed all of those movies, and mm. he didn't want to do it. Um, Cameron Crowe said, he told me he never wanted to graduate again in a film. <laughs> um, Crowe said, why about why Cusack was reluctant to take the part? He said he had graduated like six times already. <laughs> um, we used to pull the, out the graduation gown, and he'd go, ah. With a little coaxing from John Mahoney, Cusack read the script and liked it, calling Lloyd a great American character. He's somewhat eccentric, Cusack relayed in the film's production notes. He isn't tunnel-visioned. He isn't a tunnel-visioned urban teen preoccupied by sex school and his job. I realised I would never be 20 again, so I might as well cap off that phase of my career on a positive note. I'm glad I took the part. Mm. Um, Ioni Sky, she was the complete opposite of Diane Court in real life. Oh, really? She's a bit of a terrorist. I, I, I think this is, this is good. Um, the actress had trouble identifying with the A student Diane Court because she wasn't like that. I wasn't a good student, she said, told the Los Angeles Times. I grew up with my mother, not my father. I kind of had a wild childhood. Even the father stealing money from old people. I was saying to Cameron, I can't access why this would upset me. (laughs) (laughs) I know, which I think is... Uh, Right. That that didn't seem bad to me at the time. No moral compass, maybe? Sky's real-life father is famed musician Donovan. Two years after the movie came out, Sky married Beastie Boy Adam Horowitz. The couple divorced in 1999. This one is great. So, Pretty and Pink fans, hold the phone. They made the dad guilty to be different from Pretty and Pink. Crow told Entertainment Weekly had a difficult time casting the father. Rob Reiner was the first choice, but wasn't acting at the time. We just kept hearing about John Mahoney, and then he came in, and he was so disarmingly charming, and looked like William Holden, so that kind of like wholesome kind of like father character type a lot of people even actors coming up for the part wanted to know why does the father have to be guilty the answer was without the father being guilty it's pretty in pink 
Mahoney said he took the part because the character just utterly fascinated me. I played killers, but I don't think I've ever played a character so remorsefully, remorselessly amoral as that. Right. Yeah, that's quite a good sum it's up. Good take, it's a good take on that one. Um, Kuzak kickboxes in real life. Is he? After learning the sport of the future <laughs> for the movie, Kuzak continued training and has a level 6 black belt in Yukidan kickboxing. Martial arts fighter Benny the Jet Urquides has fought with and trained Kuzak. He's got the kind of control that I can put a cigarette in my mouth and he can kick it right out without hitting me. Urquides told the New York Daily News. In an interview with Details, Kuzak revealed, I like fighting so much because it's not passive-aggressive. If you want to fight, let's fight. I appreciate the honesty of it. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. A uh, couple more, a few more. Uh, the producers created the role of Rebecca just for Pamela Adlon, so we talked about that already. But yeah. according to the interview with the AV Club, she said um, to, she auditioned to play DC, which went to Amy Brooks. Adlon said the producer just then created a character because they liked what I did, which was, which was wonderful, but I really didn't have much to do. She also said, I call Say Anything the best movie I've done, even though I'm only in it for two seconds. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Crow posted a, so there's a deleted scene which involves a questionable student-teacher relationship. Crow posted a deleted scene from the film on his website in which a teacher, Mr. Deegan, creepily hits on Diane Court. Ooh. The teacher casually tells Diane, I'd like to see you sometime, and I was always smiling at you. I just thought you were an, I just thought you were a nice happy guy she responds. He then attempts to kiss her after he steps away and says to her I wish you were older. Oh god. It seems pretty obvious why this that scene was cut. <laughs> so yes. Um Eric Stoltz. People still give Eric Stoltz their keys. Did you? Now, now wait a minute. No, no, that's a great headline. You got to know where am I going from that? Because the actor played the keymaster. He didn't play the keymaster. No. No, but people think that because he had the bag at the start and because he finishes with the bag, that somehow he's associated with the keymaster role, even though it's clear in the film he never does it. He gives it to somebody else to do. Mm. He had to play the keymaster during a grad party scene and his one duty was to collect everybody's keys at the beginning of the party and distribute them at the end. So maybe he was because it was full. The bag was full. Yeah. Even though people still added to it. I still have people come up to me at parties and hand me their keys. He reminisced to movie hole. In addition to playing a small role in the movie, he also worked as a production assistant on the set. Mm. Um, uh, a sitcom of Say Anything was in the works. They wanted to make a sitcom of oh, Say Anything, no. I know. Uh, Cameron Crowe put stop to it. In 2014, Fox gave the green light for producers to adapt the movie into a single camera TV sitcom, which would take place 10 years after the film's events, but apparently didn't bother to ask Cameron Crowe for his blessing. God. Once he found out about it, he tweeted his dismay about the project and said, I have no no involvement in sect in trying to stop it. Kuzak also cried foul about the project. The backlash prevailed and the project was cancelled. But the final one. In an interview with Film School Rejects, Crow admitted he would like to revisit Lloyd Dobler and work with Kuzak again. I only mentioned it to Kuzak once, Crow said. In the spirit of the Truffaut movies, where Antoine Duan Duniel, I should know more about that, would come back and be in a different context. 
I really did think that Lloyd could be worth revisiting in maybe a completely different context. So, I don't know. I guess it would be kind of spiritual follow-up. I don't know how strict of a secret it would be. I don't know which characters would appear or reappear. It just feels like a character I could still write for. Cusack told the ladies of The View uh, that he'd be up for doing a sequel if Crow asked him. So, watch this space. Say anything too. The the romance continues. I don't think there should be a sequel. You gotta leave it there, really, don't you? Yeah, I don't I don't think there should be. No. It just feels a bit weird to do that. Yeah. It's a fair, it's self contained. It's like Yeah. It's, it's, like a, saying, it's a moment in time. It's like saying should we do a sequel to the Breakfast Club? You're like, what? What's going on? Anyway, so yeah, there we go. That's say anything. Anything anything else to add at the end of that? Mm. Anything that I've missed? Anything that's Oh, on the percentages it got ninety eight and eighty five percent. I'm not surprised. And th- there's you with your st- six and a half dragging your six and a half behind you like a, yeah, a tire well, on a string. You know. It, it it was a good movie. Now that we've talked about it, now that we've talked about the in depth things and the things that we probably didn't think about at the time, do you not think it's a deeper movie than a six and a half? Do you not think it's a better, it's a better crafted film than a six and a half? No. Oh, I thought I was going to get you to hike it up to a seven. No, it's Go a six on, and a half. A seven. No, it's a six and a half. Right. It's a bit mean. Well. Right. What are we doing next? Oh, I don't know. I must apologise for the gap from the last podcast to this one. I guess we've just drifted and... Uh, been succ- succumbed to the uh, drift of what is the uh, quarantine arrangements here in the UK. Um, my job, I've just been absolutely flat out with it. So that's a good thing, and, I guess. And me too. But I'm having to homeschool. Yeah, you're having the homeschool. So well, yeah, we both have it. But I guess also what's happened is Amy's been having a, a later bedtime, which then means... It means we get about an hour to watch something. <laughs> we get an hour to watch something out. before we then uh, absolutely shattered and go to bed. So normally she's in bed and we start something at 9pm, don't mm. we? So yeah. To watch a movie and then we can make notes, da 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 and then we do the podcast like a couple of nights after. But that hasn't materialised because she's getting to bed later and later and later. So mm. uh, it's knocked out our sort of slot to we do, do that. We do aim to do one in the next... In the next ten days, I would say. Oh, do we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's get. Let's not let's, have a gap. Let's of get her nearly in a bed month. a bit earlier. Yeah. 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 So, um, don't know. There was talk of you thinking. Did you? Did you not say this morning uh, that you'd like to do the Breakfast Club at some point? Yeah, I think we should. Because otherwise, the, the season two is in danger of being forever more known as the. The, the the teen movie season. Oh, it could be. Because that's... Okay. Hey, they've got plenty of takers. Okay, that's fine. Well, teens are very... Your formative years. They are. And The Breakfast Club is probably the most important film of the 80s. I mean, we're not teens anymore. We're far from that. We're probably closer we to... We still re- remember what it's like We're closer like to, to retirement teen. than we are to our teens. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? Oh, blimey. Feels a bit like... Um, uh, the line in the Breakfast Club: "When you get older, your heart dies." Oh like, God! I know, I know. It's, it's no. Well, no, it it doesn't. But in the context that she says it in the film, the context Ali Sheedy says it in the film, it it does make perfect sense. But oh God, I can't wait to watch the Breakfast Club again. It's just 
Oh, anyway. Um, oh, and oh, oh, by the I way, realised yeah, yeah. the the baseball team. I realised completely after we did the podcast, it was the New York Yankees that I saw um, with the Baltimore oh, Orioles. For all those people that were just sitting there drumming the fingers, waiting <laughs> waiting for an answer from the Ferris Bueller podcast, your prayers have been answered. <laughs> your, your, it's Anything else we need to no, mop up no on? St- no stone left unturned. Um, no, I don't think so. No. There was a... Um, uh, okay, this is the final thing. Trust me. And then you can all go and then, you know, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> um, is you can actually meet John Cleese. You can... There's a... there's a, I forgot what it's called. You can meet John Cleese virtually. So basically you can you can pay to hear John Cleese do, do the, his show that he did. And then afterwards you can actually have... Pay to have five minutes with him and ask him whatever you like and talk to John Cleese. Just the two of you, like on a Zoom thing. I think it's I think it's either five or ten minutes or something like that. You pay two hundred dollars, and you get ten minutes with John Cleese. And it's part of me that goes, "Oh God, if we thought about that before the podcast." Yes, our special guest to talk about physical Rwanda is John Cleese. <laughs> yeah, but I bet there's probably restrictions. We wouldn't have been able to broadcast oh, it or anything. We have the copyright to that conversation. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I didn't look into it, but oh God, there's so much. There's part of me that went, oh, should I buy it for dad? Should I buy it? Because dad adores John Cleese. And I'd be like... Oh God, your dad would spend the five minutes working out how the tech works. Yeah, exactly. And next thing you know, he'd get... Right, you've got Beep. one minute left for a question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, he's, right. He's gone. John's on, gone. On that note, <laughs> I we are going to... Well, I am going to say cheerio, but we're going to say goodbye. So cheerio. Toodle pip. And we'll see you again soon. Rusted Junk. Rusted Junk. Rusted Junk. The Forgotten 80s Movies. The Forgotten 80s Movies.